Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. All right, what is going on, people? It is Unfiltered, another episode of the live edition, episode 77. That sound, the Unfiltered Band. You are now part of the Unfiltered Revolution. You can jump on board if you're listening on where you get your podcast, where you can get Unfiltered at the Believe Network, anywhere, Apple, Spotify, everywhere you get your pods. Jump into my Twitter at Casey Stern. Join the revolution, including merch, all sorts of stuff. This is about much more than sports. It's about being unfiltered in a world of fake. Let's get real. Episode 77 commences. We're going to do a lot of things today. You can jump in if you're uh, watching or listening to this live on Twitter or my YouTube channel, which you can get and subscribe to in the bio and get all the different top 10 lists and interviews that we've done already here over the four months that we've been uh, doing this thing here with the pod and getting this revolution rolling. You can jump on board. If you're here live, it's really easy. All you got to do is click the stream, get involved. You can jump in the chat, ask questions, comments, like what I say, don't like what I say, agree, disagree, want to throw something out there, feel free to jump on board at Casey Stern. And if you're not listening to it live and you're in the podcast format, then obviously uh, keep up at Casey Stern when we go live. I've been doing it kind of setting up for the postseason every day at noon, where during the postseason I'll be doing it with guests every day live at noon Eastern time. We'll have all sorts of guests and people from around the game and uh, from those on the beat who are down in the field to people who have uh, you know been uh, teammates and friends and former players and all sorts of stuff. Going to be a lot of fun doing that noon uh, Eastern time on a daily basis here. So I'm starting to kind of set that train rolling before we get to the postseason in what has been, and I'll start here as good a stretch run for major league baseball. And clearly look, you know, I, I'm a little bit biased because, you know, having the, you know, Met fan in me, part of it certainly plays into this because of what they've been doing and what the NL East race has become. And this amazing stretch run that we're in, you know, set up for here in the next couple of weeks with, of course, you know, what I said should be on pay-per-view, this matchup coming up here in Atlanta where I live on September the 30th with a three-game series. But I think in general, when you think about the races, the individual chases, and we're going to get into a lot of that here today on this show, this is as great a stretch run for Major League Baseball and for baseball fans that we've had in September, and it's setting up what should be just a dynamite October. You've got some great teams. You've got all-time players. You've got individual chases before we even get there. Having a lot of fun with that. I want to get into kind of what it means for New York. Speaking of which, in this episode, also want to look back to here, and I'd be remiss not to on the date, September 21st, probably the, the most important baseball game that has ever been played in this country that played on September 21st, 2001. So a lot to get into. Where else do you think we're going to begin? Let's all rise up here for Aaron Judge. What an amazing thing this is to watch from the outside for so many different reasons as now he has 60 home runs and by the way what gets lost in this what an amazing finish that was for the Yankees and you could argue no disrespect at all the chase for judge even bigger to see Stanton come through in that moment and hit the grand slam and walk it off that way I don't care if they're playing the Pirates or not I don't care if you hate the Yankees or not that was pretty special stuff but when you think about it you know obviously part of what's been so special about what Aaron Judge is doing is that he's been doing it by himself. Part of what's been so most valuable about what Aaron Judge is doing is that he's been doing it by himself. This isn't a typical Yankee team where they've got, because of all the money they spend, six, seven guys in the lineup who are dynamic, you know, future Hall of Famers left and right, and everywhere you go, it, it's, it's you know, 
you can have, you know, some Yes Network documentary on what that player is. You don't have any of that this year. This guy's been carrying his team for two months, and some of the lineups have been atrocious that he's been a part of. And outside of pitching him to open the game when he's leading off, I don't understand why anyone pitching to him at all. 17 intentional walks this year, one less than Jose Ramirez, 18 to lead the league. My guy Steve Phillips had something out this morning that there was a stretch of, I think, what was it, like 30 games or something like that at one point during the bond season where he had been walked 17 times intentionally, 17 the whole season for Aaron Judge. But he'd been doing it by himself. To see that moment take place was amazing. But I think even more so, we have to realize as baseball fans how amazing it is before we even get into kind of the numbers he's putting up, which we'll get into here. And I'm curious your thoughts at Casey Stern. Jump in on Twitter if you're listening to this on the podcast. If you're live, jump into the chat. But for me, these are humans in Judge and Pujols that we like, that we respect, that we care for as, as fans, that we're into, that we root for. They're so easily rootable. You think about what baseball has been, and, and for all of us, whether you're covering it, like I've been almost 20 years, or you're watching it, for all of us, and we're all the same in this way, do we remember? I don't think we've forgotten what these chases are normally like, how ridiculous it normally is because in the moments what they have become and they haven't become synonymous with greatness or excellence or unbelievable things like 98. When you look back there and I think about, Oh, well I sat with, I did personally think I sat with my dad and watching this in September that. And, and now all those things taken away to be able to not have that backdrop, to have humans that you're rooting for, to have humans that are, that, that are so likable in judging pool holes. I'm curious where you stand on it and hit me up on Twitter or jump in the chat. But to me, that's a huge part of this is just how enjoyable it is to root for these guys comparatively to what it's been that you could jump in and get excited about the baseball history aspect of it because of this. That's what makes it so much fun. I mean, look, you know how good of a dude you got to be and how likable you got to be. I don't care if you're going for 60 or not to have as much universal love as Aaron Judge is receiving when you play for the Yankees. I mean, you're talking about, you know, different rarefied air, even playing for the Yankees to be that beloved. But Aaron Judge is that kind of dude. You saw it after the game. I mean, here he is. To, and, and sincerely saying he was kicking himself for not hitting a home run when guys were on base earlier because at the time, clearly, the deficit was still, what, three runs with, you know, Stanton about to set himself up for that big moment in the Grand Slam and that walk-off. In what was one of the crazier regular season games for all the bad things that have happened to the Yankees <clears throat> and how bad they've been and all the issues they have, and they're not the Astros, and they haven't beaten the Astros. They've had trouble beating the Rays in big spots. And, you know, who knows where this division would be. Speaking of walk-offs, if Donaldson doesn't hit that one going back four or five weeks ago, that collapse that we thought might be taking place, you know, in a a way that we'd never seen before in this sport, regardless of, and I was there covering it every day in 07 or some of the others that people may remember. Yankees probably part of the biggest one that ever happened in this sport, that in the midst of a series when you go back to 04 and being up 3-0 in the ALCS. Sorry to remind you for the Yankee fans watching or listening. But this here is a moment that if, if, you're propelled into October. I mean, the Yan they're gonna this this was an important win, an important game, an important feeling, all that. I mean, the Yankees are soaking all this up as well they should. But for Aaron Judge to be here and to be in front in all three of the triple crown categories in the American League is just nuts. It's crazy. This isn't just about home runs. 
And I think it was, and you should check it out after you watch or listen to this, Mike Petriello, I believe, who had the article yesterday that I had referenced about, you know, people not paying attention to all the other stats and all the things this dude is doing. We're looking at a top, you know, top what? I'm curious, where are you? Top what performance individually in the history of this sport? Top 20? For sure. I'm sorry. You look at where he's doing it in a walk year and all that backdrop plays in. This guy bet on himself in a walk year in New York on the Yankees where, look, you know, people get on Met fans, but if you're, you fail with the Yankees, I mean, you know, we're talking at a different level of booing the hell out of you, a different level of, you know, what a joke you've become because you, you fail in that spot because of what you're expected to do. This guy bets on himself, and it's, it is immeasurable what he has done for his own career, for his, his you know, curating, for, certainly for his pocket the kind of contract he's going to get. I don't know who else is going to offer up money to pay him, whether it's the Mets or the Red Sox or the Dodgers or whomever else is going to try and jump in there. I don't know who else would even fit in that category in terms of having the money or the cachet or both that's going to even entice Judge. But the Yankees are going to open up the vault for this dude, and they have no choice. They might have had a choice with this version of the Steinbrenners with the Cano situation. They might have had a choice of other trades they didn't want to make when they didn't give up prospects, and that happened for a couple of deadlines with Cash with Brian Cashman. They might have had other situations where that fit in. There's no category for this. They're opening up the vault, going to pay him whatever. Aaron Judge is going to be a Yankee because he has to be a Yankee for the Yankees now. With what he's doing, he has to be a Yankee now. I mean, the guy's got two weeks to go. He had 27 home runs, his last 54 games. He not he not limping to the finish in some category where he's just holding on, and now is he going to push over and get the record? Or, you know, obviously, depending upon what you think the record is, I'm referring to the American League record because regardless of whether you like it or not, Bonds has the other one. Get over it. But what Aaron Judge is doing and the the role he's played on this team and this MVP year and everything else in the history look at October is they got to win when they get there and they're going to have a hard time in my opinion doing that if they, if somebody doesn't knock off the Astros in 5 before they see him in 7 that's to me the, the Yankee path is in a five game series anything can happen i say this all the time you go back to 2010 Phillies go back to 2019 Washington uh, Washington Nationals when they knocked off the Dodgers in 5 games you look at heavy favorites, they usually get knocked off in five. Somebody does that, the Yankees got a chance to have that path. That, to beat the Astros in seven, I think it's going to be difficult, especially with the lack of depth in some of the pitching and the fact that you, you need the best pitching to beat the best hitters. The Yankees don't have a lot of those best hitters. I mean, you obviously dealt with the injuries of Stanton, not the same when he came back. Injury to Rizzo, who was not there, who'd been very good. But they need this lineup to figure itself out. They need the depth of the pitching to show up enough to be able to have a chance in a seven-game series against the Houston Astros team. But the the Aaron Judge scenario has put him in a place the Yankees have to pay him. They got to pay him whatever the hell they they want. Isn't even a, a word. Who there's no want. It's what he wants at this point. What's the story of the season next year? It starts without Aaron Judge. You think about that with the Yankees. Where are they? Who the hell are they? why is the MVP who who the, who are they going to be exactly <laughs> irony what are they going to do this next thing they probably could do you trade for Otani instead I mean how ironic would that be Otani who by I have said and I'll say this all over again I don't want to get back into the MVP thing to me it would be great and best for the game I don't know how they afford this with what they're going to have to pay judge but it is the Yankees after all forget I don't want to hear about luxury taxes and whatnot but you know what if Otani gets out in the free agency or whenever after next year regardless of where he gets traded 
to me, it's, it's best for baseball if he ended up on a team like the Yankees for people to truly understand that this dude is a freaking unicorn and, and a cyborg and a once in a million, once in a million lifetimes. Forget about a lifetime. You want to jump in on Judge or anything that we're discussing? Remember, if you're listening live, obviously, this does not equate to if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere you get your podcasts here to this episode, but if you want to jump in on the chat, all you got to do is click the stream on Twitter as you're watching, jump in, ask any questions, comments, whatever you got. Otherwise, you can tweet me at Casey Stern after the episode with whatever you want to bring to the table. I want to say this about baseball right now in New York. And I, I tweeted this earlier today, and I'm curious for people. Now, look, I always try, and even when I do these top 10 lists, and for years, when I was on the air doing radio or, or, or TV on the baseball side, I, I always... I always handled at least the way I thought you should this way conversations in baseball. When we're talking about the history of the game, I always say in my lifetime, you know, I, I can't, you know, I, I can admire and respect and understand. And I've had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times, everything you can can about Willie Mays, who was my father's favorite player growing up. Right. But I, I, I didn't watch him live. I didn't get to see it. I didn't cover it. I didn't live it. It's different. Right. We know our own lifetime. In my lifetime, right now, you could book it and you could put it in Sharpie. Uh, in uh, Ode to my buddy Seth Davis. You put it in Sharpie. This is the best stretch run in a season in the history of my lifetime baseball in New York. So certainly since the Mets came into town, we're going to hear about, you know, obviously, look, I can't, I could have seen it. Right. Tell you about the shot heard around the world. I'm not going to tell you what that was like to be there. I wasn't there the first time Ruth went for 60, clearly. All right. Even though I got gray in my beard, not that much. I don't want to hear about the 2000 World Series because, first of all, that Met team and Met fans know this wasn't as good as the 99 team they had. That team wasn't even that good. They were a wild card, didn't win a division. And down the stretch, that kind of crept up on everybody. And living there at the time, it was not nearly this. You didn't have the Judge Chase. You have the Mets in a division race that right now, what you want to talk about, like, you know, historic. I don't know how you place division races. And with a wild card there, it's not the same as it used to be in the way back machine. But this division race, which will culminate in some ways, either with that September 30th series or whatever hell that happens to those two teams after in the three games they play. Because I said this a week ago on the pod, it would be very much like the Mets for Met fans to have them win two out of three from the Braves, have a two-game lead, and then do what they did so many times during the 90s late in seasons, where I remember John Franco and company against the Expos in one year, the trouble they had with the Pirates even closing things out when they finally did so in 99 and got in, and then had the one-game playoff. You think about this scenario, uh, very possible the Mets could be two you know, out of three against Atlanta, a game or two up, and then lose two of the last three, and all of a sudden have it come down to the last game of the season. Regardless, my point being that this in this NL East race, this is as great a race for a division as we've seen in a long time. Look at how good these two teams are 100 plus win teams. One of them's the defending champs who played at 116 win pace for like three months. The other are a Met team who are now 40 games over 500. The only other two times that's ever happened in their franchise's history are in 86 and 88. So I don't want to hear about 2000 and you know, they played in the Subway Series. I get it. We already went through interleague play with these two teams this year. The first time that the Yankees and Mets since that happened in, in the mid late nineties where they'd ever been in first place at the same time. We've never, when you take the judge run 
and what he's doing. The Yankees, who were dealing with all of the pressures of are they collapsing, and now they've got all the different kind of side of it with the attention being paid to them. The Mets in this midst of this thing with the Braves, and kudos to Frankie Lindor. I'm not going to talk about Mets today, but kudos to him for what he did yesterday because this guy's been great all year. And people should shut their damn mouths who are still complaining. You got Met fans who like pretend they go hide in corners and suck their thumbs after they sit there and yap about what Lindor hadn't done because he grounded into a double play like a week and a half ago for crying out loud. The guy been brilliant all year. And both he and Edwin Diaz have proved that even though it is a real thing and how difficult it is to play in big markets, in this case in New York, on a baseball side, that you can have the fortitude to fight through it, and kudos to both of those guys. A thing, by the way, speaking of old Met teams, that a Carlos Beltran did for the rest of his career after that first year. Sands, obviously, that one at bat with Adam Wainwright that everybody wants to bring up. This is the best time for baseball down the stretch in New York of my lifetime. You want to at me? I want to hear it. I want to hear it. You tell, since the Mets came in, how you want to put it, I want to hear it. I'm, I'll, I'll be, how old am I going to be? I'll be 44 in a couple of weeks. This is there's never been anything like this. The other part of it is the buzz now of social media is so much different. I mean, who could even imagine what it would have been like, right? Ruth and Maris and those chases if Twitter was this way. Who could even imagine what it would have been like during the Bonds situation, right? When he's chasing and all of that, if we had social media to the level that we have now, when you combine that and you talk about the buzz that that creates and the amount of people talking about it, we're not talking about talking at the luncheonette of the coffee shop in New York or somebody sitting there on a street corner in Brooklyn at a bus stop talking to somebody else. We're talking about everywhere. The you know, transplant the New Yorkers, people everywhere going just bananas nuts in what these two teams are doing. Do I think they're going to meet in the World Series? No, I don't. Don't. But I think this September stretch is the best baseball that New York has ever seen to, to close the stretch of the season, ever, with everything that's going on, and ever. And I would include even the before my lifetime because of the social media aspect. And I'm curious, give me your takes on Twitter at Casey Stern. If you're listening to it live, you could jump in on the chat. 921 and this date. And, you know, I want to, and I, I mentioned it shortly and briefly yesterday, but I want to also reference, and I saw that Howie himself had actually put out kind of explaining this as well on his Twitter today. But I had a great conversation about a week ago with Howie Rose on the pod. You can jump into the YouTube channel and subscribe, or if you want to listen versus video, everywhere you get your podcast. And he went into depth describing the behind the scenes and the background of that broadcast, September 21st, when baseball returned to New York after 9-11. It's pretty amazing stuff. It, talking about the production meeting and what he was told to say and not to say and how he called the Piazza home run and why and all of that. It, it's in addition to talking about a number of other things with the Mets, including the passing of the late John Stearns, get that conversation over on the pod at, uh, after you know we're done here if you're live or whenever you want if you're listening to it on demand. I'm going to give you kind of my background on it as a fan. I've been to, even though I'm I'm... Jewish. I've been to both a lot of churches and temples in my life and religious atmospheres where there's a, a feeling of unity, of humanity, of peace, of, you know, I, I that I think all of us, you know, feel in, in some of those moments, whether you're in a community that you live in, you know, the people or not. I've been in buildings covering it and seeing you know, a, for example, you know, a St. Louis culminate in in a way in a moment that was so loud. I remember coming on the post game broadcast and I could not hear anything after David Freeze. I, I've seen a lot of different things in my life. We all have as fans. I've never been in any building or any environment 
that is even close to the type of an emotional unity that you felt as a human being, especially in a world we live in where everybody is so now broken apart in, you know, I, I mean, look, you know, Twitter is like a cesspool. It's like, you know, I feel like it's like uh, in uh, Naked Gun where, uh, you know, uh, Frank Drebin says, I've been swimming in raw sewage and I love it. That's Twitter is swimming in raw sewage. I, I love it. Can't get enough of it. Just like all of us, because we're in it and we're in it to win it. And you follow and you look at all the political stuff and people on each other and everybody hates each other and dogs and cats living together. It's a damn nightmare. All right. There ain't nobody who sits there and cares about the person next to them enough right now. Book that. Put that in your Sharpie. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Nobody. Nobody caring enough about people to the left of them or the right of them. And I don't mean left and right in politics, but as I said it, I knew somebody would think that. And you have to then equate, oh, well, let me tell you, I don't mean left and right. I mean on the left side and the right side, like I'm talking to my five-year-old. We don't care enough about humans anymore. Way bigger than sports or Aaron Judge's 60th. All rise for that. But that building and that moment that was such a special and different thing and difficult thing. I remember I, um, I wanted to go to the game and I reached out to two of my friends the day before about the possibility of going. We didn't have tickets. And I was working at the time at the S&P 500 in New York. And I remember being in an office and emailing back and forth and, and, you know, can we get tickets and how are we going to get tickets? And I honestly don't remember because one of my two friends who we went with found the guy who we got tickets from. I, I think it it was some sort of a Craigslistian type of a place. I don't remember what it was. I don't think they had StubHub back then, but maybe they did. And I found out that we were going to go meet at this guy's office in the afternoon, 3.34 o'clock, somewhere around there, get the tickets, and then we were going to go to Shea, take the subway, go to Shea the train that building and being in there for that and i was up in the upper deck on the third base side i remember the bagpipes and the national anthem and i remember thinking to myself as i was watching people cry and you know i knew we all knew people i i you know didn't have anyone in my family but i knew i had friends who had lost people in their families and you just knew you were there for something that was not baseball-related. You weren't there for some game. You weren't there because they were playing the Braves in a pennant race. You were there because you were American. You were there because you were human. You were there to say we're not going to be so afraid that we're going to sit at home. We're going to be here together and show this unity together and try and find some joy and escape together. I remember the handshakes and everybody's seen them a million times now with the Braves and, and the Mets. Now, look, these, this Braves and Mets team, for all the trumpets and everything else that we have now, there's no real hatred between these two teams. It's not. It's not even, a, you know, nothing has happened yet. Who knows? Yet, even the Strider stuff and all this, it's more Mets Twitter, Braves Twitter, you know, being trolled by different writers. And if you missed my conversation with Mark Bowman and you're a Braves or a Mets fan, you better like run, write yourself a post-it note to go immediately when I'm done here or when you're done listening to this and go get it on the pod from a few days ago because it's amazing. I talk Braves from my vantage point. He talks Mets. We talk about trolling each other's fan base. It's a lot of fun. But it wasn't about that. And, 
even though those teams hated each other. You know, Bobby Cox and Bobby Valentine, This these two were not going out for a beer anytime soon. This is not Buck Showalter and Brian Snitker. And I'm not saying those two weren't nice people, but you know, Snit, one of the nicest people ever. I don't know if he doesn't like anyone. And Buck, who is so well-respected across the board. This wasn't that. It wasn't that. Th- these, were, these were teams and dudes who didn't like each other. But when they came together in that moment, I'm a huge hockey fan, and welcome to camp today for all the teams, including my Islanders. Now, what, 20-some-odd days away? It's amazing for the season. I'm a huge hockey fan. One of the great things in the tradition of, of hockey, if you don't watch it, or you're probably knowledgeable of it, are you know the handshake line after they get done, like when you're dealing with kids in Little League after they get done with the Stanley Cup playoff series. It's one of the coolest things. I have no problem admitting I have many times on YouTube, many times, gone to watch just the, the handshake lines, the four or five minute video where they've had guys mic'd up and you could hear just like, I just want to hear what they're saying. Like, I love that mutual respect. Like, that's, it's like, and I'm a huge MMA guy. Like, that's like, that's such a, 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 that's great. Like, rivalries are great, but that's when it's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to, you know, kick each other's asses for however long. And then, you know, this is where it's at. When these two teams hugged each other in that moment, that's the greatest thing that, that, that you can ever see in terms of translating from sport to something more meaningful than that. It didn't matter if the Mets lost that game 10 to nothing. If we came back from that moment, we would have always remembered, remember the day where baseball came together and we'd be talking about Liza Minnelli. We'd be talking about the performances. We'd be talking about the bagpipes. We'd be talking about just the emotion and the togetherness. And that wasn't a New York or an American thing. Even it was a human thing. But Mike Piazza, that moment was supposed to happen. There are weird things like that in life, people. That that was for this sport. You know, there are a lot of important home runs that we have in baseball. I don't care who you're a fan of. It doesn't matter. This is not being, about being a Met fan. It's not. But that home run is one of the most important home runs or swings that's ever happened in the history of this sport because it was about way more than that. I've referenced this before, but I remember talking to Chipper Jones myself, and everybody's kind of heard him say it, but he, talking to him about that being the only game as a competitor that he is in his whole life, like Little League, high school, didn't matter, that he ever was okay losing. They weren't trying to lose, but he ever was okay losing. You got a New York kid and Jason Marquis on the mound to start that game, and all the stories that are in that game, it's something I'll probably go back and watch at some point today. When Piazza hit that home run, that was just a different thing. And again, I hope you listen to, you know, my conversation with Howie, him giving the backdrop about it, obviously uh, with that call, but that I can't even imagine like, you know, I've, I've, um, I've been on the air for some, you know, kind of really difficult moments, had a, a broadcast partner many, many years ago, pass had to go on the air, um, was on the air. Uh, the first show after, after saves, after Craig Sager passed away, um, I remember being on the air with Turner the day after after Kobe died, the first show that we did. And there are a lot of others. I remember being in the press room here about Corey Lytle. I mean, there, you know, being in San Francisco in the World Series and, and hearing about a guy who at that time was a young phenom and then was just a young life loss in, in Oscar Tavares with the Cardinals. I can't even imagine what the backdrop of doing that game was or must have been. But it's amazing the way that it turned out because it came so much more than baseball, so much more than than 
Yeah, but it was supposed to happen that way. It's remembered that way because the Mets beat the Braves in that manner, sure. But 921-01, that, that's, that's a different breed. It's a different breed. I mentioned the Braves. I want to kind of shift a little bit. It's difficult, obviously, from that to anything in terms of baseball because it's not really sports. But the Spencer Strider thing with the oblique, I want to hit that for a second. You know, everybody got their conspiracy theories or whatnot. These pitchers know their own bodies. This dude's a competitor. I said this before. I was ripping him, calling him stride right as much as anybody for saying that the Mets were lucky. But I like the way that he bounced back in that second presser afterwards. Kids, they figure it out. You got to have that arrogance, that confidence, that it thing. If you're going to be an ace in this game, you know, Max Scherzer right now, not everybody, because there are the Clayton Kershaw's and Jacob DeGrom's who are that way when they pitch. Right. But not demonstrative in their attitudes. But there are also plenty of Pedros and Clemens and Scherzers and, and guys of that nature. Right. Who are going to just like sit there. And it looks like there's steam coming out of their face. I, I love I don't know how he pulls the mustache off necessarily, but I love everything Strider's about in terms of the pitching, dynamic to watch. He wants to be out there, and the Braves want him out there. Having him skip a start for the sore oblique, it's very similar to what happened with Max Scherzer, a guy who obviously well advanced in his career and age, knowing his own body. The Braves probably going to step in more here than where Scherzer could sit there and check himself at the door. But it's a situation where I got to have, I got to have, if the Braves are going to win the World Series this year, Guess what? The kids, Harris, Grissom, Strider at the forefront of that, they're going to be a big part of it. Even if they won the championship last year, it's a different story. There's no Freddie, obviously got Matt Olson. It's a different story in terms of everything with that team, right? Kenley at the back end and questions now with him, where there were questions last year and then Will Smith kind of figured it out. But the Strider thing, I wouldn't read into it too much. I think, look, I want to see him healthy. I mentioned it the other day. I want to see September 30th, him and DeGrom opening up that series. And if that's what we get, I don't care if he needed to take a few days off to feel better about it. Let's go. I mean, you, you want to, you know, if you're a fan of a team, you want to beat the team the way they're supposed to look. You know, I think. I mean, for me, you don't want anybody to make it easier on you. I, I don't think. It's not how I would be. You, you want to sit there and and be the Toronto Raptors being asked every day about, hey, what if Durant was there? I don't think you wanted that, do you? What if Clay didn't get injured or whatever? Like, I, I don't think you want them full throttle. And I think for Strider, you'll see that. So I, I, I really wouldn't worry about it too much. But this is not some conspiracy theory with Spencer Strider. He'll get back on the field. That race obviously continues to be a thing. Those two teams neck and neck, both going to get over 100 wins. Now one game apart in the division. Mets play this afternoon the Brewers. Braves continue their series with the Washington Nationals. National League West clearly long in the books for the Dodgers. Now it's about preparing for the postseason. And Jerry Harrison Jr., who does a great job with them in the pre and post and all the Dodger coverage, will join me on Friday on the podcast. By the way, Sweeney Murdy tomorrow on the pod to talk about Judge. So who knows? It could be 61, 62 or more by then. But for the Dodgers, now the question for me is going to be, you've got really a layoff the rest of the year. There's nothing to play for. You're preparing and getting ready. And these guys know what that what it takes. They've done it before. I mean, all the division titles and they won the World Series and all of that, right? But, however, they've had... You know, you kind of two flips of this coin. On one side, I think if you look at heads and you say, okay, well, with all the injuries they've had to the pitching, now they could really kind of rest up and get ready the way that they want. They've already clinched home field, and all that is true, and that's great. But at the same time, to now not have meaningful baseball, watch an initial series, don't be surprised if whoever plays the Dodgers in that five game set, no matter who is pitching it for whatever team, 
whether and I'm thinking about what side it's on now. Right now, the way it would set up right is the NL East loser playing the Phillies. And the Phillies haven't beaten the Braves or the Mets. So, my gosh, that's kind of like a buy. And now that I say that, the Phillies probably sweep that series. But it looks like a buy in itself because the Phillies, the, the boogaboo like Twins Yankees or Yankees versus the Rays, if you will, when they even look at that team, and whether it's the Braves or the Mets. But one of those teams then would face the Dodgers in a five-game series. And I think, I mean, right now I don't even know what the, you know, if you could do this. But I, you know, give, give me the odds of what that are. I don't even need to know what team it is. I'm taking them in game one because it's just hard to do that after a layoff to then snap back in when another team is going that way. That's going to be one of the things to watch for the Dodgers. And now in the American League West, where the Astros have kind of locked things up and clearly the best team in the American League. Uh, the Jays are, to me, a team still to watch. I say this every day. Uh, put up, what, 18 runs yesterday. Look, I, I think... Toronto has the front-end pitching, the back-end pitching that can get swings and misses. They've got bats with experience. They've got young bats that still can break out and carry, like we saw that Bo Bichette did recently for a couple of weeks. I think Toronto's very, very dangerous. Very, very dangerous. You know, in the American League, I think that, you know, the Mariners are playing with house money, which is sometimes, by the way, that's not like a you know, back pat. Sometimes that is really a positive thing heading into a postseason because they don't need to win necessarily. These kids have never been there, but they're not afraid. Clearly, you could tell they're prepared. Clearly, you could tell you got a raised team that always looks that way. It's going to be fun. I, I think the AL's more wide open. The Astros are going to be tough to knock off in seven, a little bit easier in five. The Yankees, I don't know who they are as a team. We know who they are right now in terms of Aaron Judge. But as a team, when it comes down to it, can they win a series? If they have to face the Rays, is that something that's going to be, are we, are we twins Yankees in the midst of that all over again? You go back to Brasso and Chapman. And again, outside of the Donaldson walk-off, really all this year, it seemed like it at big points. Can the Yankees beat them in a big series? I think, I think that there are some possibilities of some damage done by a surprise team or a wild card in the American league. And even look, even with the guardians, you got Tito there and that factor in that team is, I mean, aren't, how much fun are they to watch? You're talking about a team that believes in itself with a lot of young talent and ability and, and arms. And I mean, how much fun are they to watch it? And look, I remember covering it you know, years ago, a team in Cleveland that was forgotten and nobody paid attention to. They went all the way to the World Series. So who knows? American League to me, more wide open. The National League, I, I just think it's going to be exponentially difficult for the Phillies or the Padres, who, you know, no offense to the Brewers, look like the two teams now. And the NL East you know, loser goes into the other category. You know, the Cardinals, I think, probably go in with the wild cards for me. I think Dodgers, Mets, and Braves, it's going to be it's going to be really, really difficult to go on a path where you're going to have to knock two of those three off. And that's what makes losing the NL East difficult, is that if you're, let's say, the Braves right now, you got to then dock the Dodgers up in five. The Mets probably, again, who knows, probably knock off, let's say, the Padres or whatever in five, or even the Cardinals. And then you got to go beat them in seven. Yeah, how are you going to beat the Mets, Braves, or Dodgers in seven after beating one of the other three in five? I don't know because these teams are very, very tight. There, it is why the games are so close in that what three game series with the Trumpets and Mets, Dodgers. It's why the Mets at home did what they did. The Braves bounced back, did what they did. These teams continue to play great baseball and really demoralize almost everybody else. Sands, you know, Braves, Giants a week ago, and Mets against the Cubs and the Nationals over two series with the Marlins split in between. It's going to be fun. This is, again, this is as good a postseason run for baseball. And I'm curious, at me at Casey Stern, if you're listening to this or watching it, it's not live and you're ever on the YouTube channel or through Apple and Spotify, this is as great a postseason chase as we have, as we have had since when? Since when? 
You got individual pool holes. I got individual judge. I got two likable commodities. I got an all-time player in pools. I got all-timers in Scherzer and Verlander and others who are heading into the postseason. Yadier Molina in his last year. Molina and Wainwright still doing their thing and them doing it as a battery in the postseason. I've got great stories like the Mariners in the playoffs for the first time in seemingly a million years. I'm, I, I don't think we've seen this in the social media era to this level before. Now, hopefully, it nets an October that lives up to it. But so far, so good. Episode 77 of Unfiltered in the Books. Catch up with the pod tomorrow. Sweeney Murdy on the Yankees and Judge. Friday, Jerry Harrison Jr. on the Dodgers. I'll stay live with you and as well we'll be uh, live every day during the postseason. You can hop on board at Casey Stern. Join the revolution and be a part of it all. Thanks so much. Keep on listening. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.